0: Welcome to the Weekly Skeptic episode 31. I'm Nick Dixon and I'm joined by COVID denier Toby Young. Coming up, the left double down on Transmania. Donald Trump is indicted and Top G is free, kind of. Plus loads of other interesting stories and, of course, peak woke. But before we get into Trump, Toby, maybe I should just quickly say we have now put tickets on sale, VIP tickets currently only, for our Weekly Skeptic live show, Normal Tickets, are coming out on the 8th of April, I believe. But We've already sold a load of VIP tickets. I'm actually slightly stunned. I knew the podcast was awesome and doing well, but I'm actually slightly surprised how well it's already selling.
1: Yeah, no, it's selling well. Um, we only put tickets on sale on April Fool's Day. I was, of course, slightly concerned that people would think it was all a big joke, um, but it's not. Um, it's taking place. It's going to be at the Emanuel Center on May the twentieth between seven thirty and nine thirty, um, and uh, VIP tickets are available now. And VIP ticket holders not only get a ticket to the show, but they ha- get to have a drink with me, you, and Will Jones afterwards. So, um, and they're only forty five pounds. And then tickets, uh, regular tickets, will go on sale this Saturday for twenty five pounds.
0: Yeah, I'm probably going to have like a cool venue to go to after for the drink. Although it's that sort of TBC, isn't it? But I don't want to commit you to that. But there'll be somewhere cool to go and hang out with those, and you'll get to sort of just know this in our inner souls, basically.
1: Yeah, and um, if you want, we can even do selfies. Um, and if you if you, want a, if you want a ticket to the show, um, go to the Daily Skeptic website, and there's a banner at the top of the page. Just click on there. It'll take you straight through to Eventbrite, and you can buy VIP tickets and then regular tickets on sale on Saturday.
0: Very, very exciting. A few people have said to me, where's the Emmanuel Centre? It's in central London. One person I even suspected was a 77th bot because he had a March 23 profile, numbers in it, you know what I mean? New profile saying, where's the man. I was like, hang on, the 77th are coming to sabotage our event, which would sound <laughs> insane, except that Toby was investigated by them. So it now seems very, very possible.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think most people, I mean, you'd think that, you know, uh, a halfway competent 77th Brigade operative could, could just Google the Emmanuel Center and figure out where it is. It's on Marsham Street in Westminster. It's a stone's throw from the House of Commons. There's lots of great pubs around there. We're trying to book a private room in a nearby pub for VIP, VIP ticket holders who can have a drink of this afterwards. Yeah, I've been
0: surprised the amount of people have replied, where is it? It's like you click the link and you find out. It's like if you can't pass that IQ test, you're probably not going to get much of the content in the actual show <laughs> is, my, is my approach. But anyway, speaking of high IQ people like me, Donald Trump, a famously high IQ guy, stable genius, has been indicted. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago that it was going to happen. Now it actually has happened. So I thought we'd have an update on this. And I've not, I've sort of looked into the details a couple of weeks ago. I haven't really reacquainted myself with the details. It's more the fact they've actually done it. They've crossed this Rubicon. Now, is it just, as the lefty literalists have tried to tell me on on GB, is it just a kind of, oh, it's just the law, it's the law, people just following the law? Or is it actually that, you could get anyone on anything if you really wanted to. They got him on this misdemeanor. They're trying to upgrade it to a felony. Isn't this a, a, a terrible new development in America? Because no one, no president's ever been indicted. You did say on London calling that Bill Clinton had, but he hadn't, he'd only been impeached. So I sort of called you out on that. It is a new, unprecedented, dangerous move, isn't it, Toby?
1: Yes. No, I think it, it is, as I understand it, it is the first time um, a. President or ex-president has actually been charged with a felony, um, so it is um, it is it is unprecedented. Um, but I don't think um, it's likely to stand for very long. I think um, Trump Trump's legal team will try and get this dismissed summarily in the next few days, and I think they're likely to succeed. Um, normally, um, violations of campaign finance laws are never prosecuted as felonies. Um, So I don't know if you remember, but um, last year, the Democratic National Committee and Hillary Clinton's campaign were fined for a similar violation. So they'd obscured the reporting of payments to a former British spy and MI6 agent for producing a dossier that falsely alleged that Trump had compromised. Um, on him or that the, the, the Russians had compromise on Trump. and um, But instead of reporting that expense as dirt digging or scandal mongering, the Hillary campaign um, wrote it down as legal services, which is exactly what uh, Trump has written down his payoff to Stormy Daniels as. And that wasn't that wasn't prosecuted as a felony. They just got a small fine. And I, I think that for a variety of reasons, you know, it's a federal offense if it's a, if it's an offense at all. So why is it being prosecuted by the New York State Attorney General? There's a statute of limitations of two years. It was more than two years ago. So there are a number of grounds on which it could be dismissed, and I expect it will be dismissed. My theory is, so why is it? Then you ask the question, well, why is the New York DA um, Pursuing this, if it's you know a a completely hopeless uh, trumped up charge, which is going to be summarily dismissed, well maybe the answer is well first of all obviously it's you know it's in his political interest to be seen to be going after Trump and you know holding him to account for allegedly breaking the law, but more more than that I think maybe there's a kind of diabolical democratic plot here, um, uh, which isn't to actually you know prosecute Trump for a felony and jail him. The plot is to bring a Trump top charge against him, see it dismissed in order to consolidate his front runner status um, as the Republican nominee, because Biden would prefer to go up against Trump who will be a less formidable opponent than DeSantis. So maybe this is a diabolical way for Democratic Party operatives to secure the Republican nomination for Trump and um, uh, uh, you know wipe out DeSantis as a competitor.
0: Mm. Interesting. I mean, I've heard all sorts of 4D chess theories like that. I mean, one thing, it did sort of throw DeSantis off a bit. He started sort of semi-attacking Trump, whereas people say he should have come out very boldly and say, if this happened, I wouldn't let them extradite him from Florida, which he eventually did. So it sort of did throw DeSantis off his game, so there is maybe something in that. But I just tend to think it's just straightforward spite. They just want to get him at all costs. Biden, there was an interesting Biden clip. I can't remember exactly what he said now, where he just sort of said, you know, we're just trying to stop him within the Constitution. Maybe they are just trying to stop him running. Maybe they're just throwing everything they can at him. I, yeah, it just might just be, like you say, it politically makes sense for this guy to do it and impress his friends in New York. And also just, they, like I say, just spy. It might not be much more complicated. To actually stop him running, he'd have to be convicted, and then the Senate would have to choose to impose the penalty of stopping him running for office. So this can't happen because too many Republicans. So that's not going to happen anyway, Ted Cruz was saying. So is it just pure spite and just they just like to attack to him i even think your theory might be too advanced i just think they just want total revenge on this guy in any way
1: well it's possible that um the new york da has um a charge that he thinks will stick we don't know yet what the felony is that trump is going to be charged with we all think it'll be you know breaking election law for you know not reporting this payment accurately, but it's possible that it could be something more cunning than that. It could be that um, f- it could be a charge of falsifying, you know, a declaration um, describing a payment as one thing when in fact it's another thing, and that is a felony within the state of New York, not just against federal law. Um, and maybe that's more likely to stick, or will take longer to dismiss, or a court. Is perhaps less likely to dismiss it. But on the face of it, it looks as though they've got nothing. It's a stunt. It'll quickly be dismissed. And the only lasting impact will be to enhance Trump's standing as the Republican front runner, which will harm DeSantis. So my theory is that that's why they're doing it. They want, Biden wants to run against Trump and not DeSantis, because DeSantis would be a more formidable opponent.
0: Interesting. Bit conspiratorial for you, Toby, but very possible with politics. But I tend to think the election comes down anyway to election manipulation. I don't necessarily mean illegal. I mean ballot harvesting. If you look at what they did last time, even if we say they didn't rig it and we can put a question mark there, um, they certainly would if they could. And they did boast about how they'd essentially rigged it by manipulating Facebook, you know, getting things taken down off Facebook, using big tech. They did that time article essentially boasting about how they'd stolen it in another sense. And then they used ballot harvesting. They used mail-in ballots because of COVID. They used this thing where they normally ballots so that would be classed as spoiled. They just accepted them all. And that made a big difference. Victor Davis Hanson talks about that. So I tend to think future elections just come down to who can best use the election techniques and not even the candidate. That's my very cynical theory. And I see this all as part of the, the regime. See, some of these boomer lefties think that the Democrats, these are like normal Democrats, but the Biden regime is not a normal regime. It's, it's, it's the sort of end of American freedom, I claim. And see if you agree with me. This Douglas Mackey guy, this is a big story and it's related. He's facing 10 years in jail for a joke about the elections where he he, he, up a, he put up a fake number where he could text to vote and it was kind of like a joke about, you know, getting tricking Democrats, but he wasn't really trying to trick them. The argument is he was just joking. Then this kind of regime comedian called Christina Wong made the almost identical joke, where she came on and said, Hey, Trump people, vote on like November 9th or whatever, like giving the wrong day as a sort of satire. Now she's just been given a $550,000 prize by some pointless uh, you know, body. I'll try to trace if they were like Democrat. They're obviously on that side. Whereas this other guy's facing a potential 10 years in jail for almost exactly the same thing. And now we've just had the QAnon shaman released after the January 6th thing's taken a very long time. Baked Alaska, another guy that was released. So what, what we seem to have is a series of a revolving door now of people being arrested, prisoned, released. Trump's now arrested. Whereas if you're on the regime side, like this Christina One person, you're just totally fine. You know, and if, as you mentioned before, nothing's going to happen to Democrats, but Trump will be indicted. Isn't this just, this is what I think, isn't the Biden regime, and it's not literally Biden, he's just an old man, but isn't this the end of fair play in America and they just want to totally crush their opponents by all means?
1: Well, if that is their strategy um, to use lawfare more aggressively and in, a, in an unprincipled and unprecedented way um, uh, to persecute their political opponents, um, that's a pretty risky strategy because that can easily be thrown back in their faces. I mean, after Trump's indictment, it's, um, I think, likely now that Hunter Biden will be indicted by a Republican Da uh, somewhere, Um, and you know once the once this ugly precedent has been set, um, I imagine the Democrats will suffer as much as the Republicans. So if that is if it is a deliberate political calculation, it seems to me to be a miscalculation. Not likely to be a very effective strategy.
0: But that supposes, and you'll say I'm a bit Team James here, but that supposes that there's going to be a fair election where a Republican can get in and then punish Democrats. But the way the election looked so dodgy last time, do you think that'll even happen? I mean,
1: well, it doesn't. It you know the the um, I suppose um, the president of the day um, can have some influence over who the U.S. Justice Department prosecutes, but there are plenty of uh, red states um, controlled by Republicans, and they have you know legal powers at their disposal. So you know even if even if as you believe the Democrats rig the next election. Um, uh, That's not going to protect Democratic political candidates from being persecuted in exactly the same way by Republican district attorneys. Uh, But I, I, I don't think the next election is likely to be rigged. And I don't think that the last one was stolen. I'm sure there was skullduggery, but I think it was probably skullduggery on both sides. And, you know, it all evens out in the end. Um, and I I think the, the, I remember looking at the, you know, the steel conspiracy theory and the number, the sheer number, uh, the margin of victory of, um, of Biden over Trump was so great. No amount of kind of skullduggery really, um, would have secured the election for Biden over Trump. It wasn't close. It wasn't close enough for that kind of you know ballot harvesting to have, to have made an impact. And the scale on which it would have had to have taken place in order to steal the election was so enormous that it would have been impossible to kind of uh, conceal that.
0: Well, Victor Davis Hanson made a good case that actually the spoil ballots thing does make a significant difference. There was all sorts of things, like you used to have to sign it, you used to have to put various things on it and get them right. And if you, if you didn't, that would be struck out. But then they started to count them. The only thing I didn't quite understand is why that necessarily benefits Democrats. I assume it's because their voters are too stupid to correctly fill out a form. But I need to look into that again. But that apparently did make a, a, a big difference. Yeah, but I don't bother trying to claim, you can't convince people it was stolen. You just, no one can prove it. So yeah, I just tend to think, they manipulated it better. I don't believe that Biden had this record turnout. And, well, obviously, this, being able to mail in your ballot and all that during COVID was obviously a massive difference. But yeah, I see what you're saying. You don't necessarily need to be the president to attack the other side. One, one uh, Charlie Kirk was suggesting, why don't they go after BLM for its dodgy charity stuff with this mansions and things like this is an obvious big target you could go for. It's not directly the Democrats, but it's kind of their activist wing. That would be one thing they could go for. But this is what's going to happen. I mean, all these short-sighted lefties who just want just want to attack Trump don't seem to see that, and, you, and that's when you think, well, why are they doing it if it is if it is going to have this backlash? Let's say it is, and then that's when I come back to, well, they, they just they're act, they're just acting out of pure spite without too much analysis. But then, or, but then in your theory, they are they are analyzing it, but they're just doing it in a short-term way to beat the standards.
1: Yeah, it could be that um, you know Alvin Bragg the. Um Manhattan DA um, is uh, is acting in his own short-term political interests and to hell with the medium and long-term interests of the Democrat Party um, you know his standing I think will be enhanced by this whatever happens and um, you know he'll certainly be re-elected as Manhattan's DA and might even be thinking about a run for governor of New York State uh, or even you know become the senator for New York so I think that's probably a more likely explanation. It's just, you know, this kind of ambitious um, Manhattan DA um, uh, trying to score points for his own particular political benefit.
0: Fair enough. All right. Well, speaking of lawfare, then maybe we should move on to a more positive story. Top G has been released, at least on House arrest. Now, fans of this podcast know I'm a big friend of... Andrew Tate, Top G. And I get messages criticizing me for my support. And you can keep sending them, and I'll keep ignoring them. Because I've met Andrew, and I think he's a good guy. And I'm never really wrong about people. And uh, when he came out of prison, it was very much the Andrew I've met. He, He just calmly said, you know, he wasn't the Top G character. He just calmly said, this is false. It will be proved. I believe the truth will come out in the long term. I hold no grudge against Romania, blah, blah, blah. And it was a very good statement he made, actually. And then he released a series of tweets and um, there was this sort of video that got like five hundred thousand views of him just pacing around, still really massive and like strong, but with a little bit of extra fat and with this massive beard, and obviously not as groomed as he normally is. And he looked kind of like incredibly cool, like kind of uh, like he even quote tweeted himself and put the final boss, like it was a video game. And he 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 was, uh, and that was a big tweet. And people were there was a massive response to him coming out, of course. And then he put this other tweet. He said, "I prepare my body to absorb the brutal kinetics of piercing lead." As all of the silencing attempts fail and stage three approaches, I anticipate a bullet will be the chosen utensil of pacification. I can only pray and prepare. (laughs) I will force myself to breathe the best I can. I promise. And he's talking about, he said for ages, first, I'll try and cancel me, which they did. He's like a kind of prophet, isn't he? Second, they'll go after me with lawfare, which they have. And he said, the next thing is I'll try and kill me. I mean, wouldn't it be mad, Toby, if they did try and kill Tate and he managed to resist a bullet? I
1: mean... What, through breathing? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Just> through yeah, <laughs> what through
0: is he? yoga fire.
1: Um, it sa- it sounds like it sounds like you know when he talks about um, being in the matrix, um, he's not actually talking metaphorically. He literally thinks we are in the matrix, and if you kind of you can kind of think your way out of a bullet wound.
0: <laughs> well, he's definitely using that imagery. I don't think he literally thinks it because he's very smart, but he is using that imagery, and he is kind of self mythologizing, obviously to a large degree. That's sort of what he does. But he has become mm. an iconic figure. I mean, it is a heck of a story for a movie, isn't it? This guy comes from Luton and sort of comes up through the streets of Luton, has to do a bit of drug dealing, bit of this and that, becomes a kickboxer, then just becomes this influencer, massive, gets cancelled, goes to a Romanian prison for three months without any charges. I mean, it is kind of wild, isn't it? And now he's out. He says he hasn't been out of sleep at all since he's been out, and he's just sort of presumably like thinking about it in his head and what to do next.
1: I mean... I don't know what I mean, your it, take it's, it's odd, isn't it? Because it, 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 one interesting thing, comparing him to kind of, you know, pop culture icons of yesteryear, you know, back in the Hollywood golden age, um, movie stars would, you know, they'd change their names. They'd create these entirely fictional backstories about themselves. They wouldn't actually reveal, you know, that they were... You know, they had some kind of really Jewish-sounding name, and um, and they were, you know, their mother was probably a prostitute in the back streets of Pittsburgh, and they'd come up the hard way by, you know, giving blowjobs to kind of fat middle-aged movie producers. Yeah, <laughs> all that would be concealed, and there would be some kind of rags-to-riches kind of. I was discovered in Schwabs on Hollywood Boulevard, and it was they it totally invent these backstories to kind of enhance their stardom. It was all part of the package. You can't do that. Now, because you know, you can Google anyone, and um, all the facts about you are there to be discovered by anyone at the click of a mouse. Uh, but it, interestingly, even though that's true, it doesn't seem to have in any way undermined, you know. Um, The kind of pop cultural velocity of Andrew Tate. We can all Google him and and figure out he was born in Luton, of all places, you know, um, and uh, and then appeared as a contestant on Celebrity Big Brother. And he's had a kind of number of careers. He'd been involved in what, to all intents and purposes, look like pretty shoddy pyramid schemes. Um, He's been accused of all these horrendous crimes, admittedly accused, not convicted. Um, But it doesn't seem to have in some ways, uh, it doesn't to have undermined his kind of pop cultural status if anything you know all these embarrassing facts have somehow enhanced it why, why why is it that kind of being able to google him and discover all these compromising things about him why hasn't that in any way or at least maybe it has a little bit but it, it doesn't seem to have undermined his cult status amongst you know adolescent males
0: i can give you the answer to or indeed you <laughs> part of it is because his real life story just is kind of like a mythological story and an or, a great origin story. I mean, he, here's a post he shared. Chess families strive to keep pressures of game in check. And it's a six-year-old Tate playing chess against his brother, Tristan. And his dad withdrew him from the tournament. He said, I beat the first two adults, then lost three in a row. I asked, will I be able to beat them at chess when I grow up? He replied, son, once you're grown up, you'll be able to beat anyone at anything. Now, he had this crazy dad who was a sort of got in some fights and things like this, lived a kind of, you know, itinerant lifestyle uh, was a chess champion, sort of very, was, I think he's the highest ranked black American chess champion. It's quite rare for you know, a black American to be like, known in the chess world. He was known for his incredibly aggressive playing style. He was this kind of mad genius figure himself. And he, he had something, as James pointed out in your podcast, he was br- briefly in the CIA in some way, although it has no link to that as far as I can see. So the fact that he had a, a, you know, a black American chess playing genius dad who himself conceived of the world in terms of a kind of aristocratic lineage where he said, you're a Tate, you're going to bear my name and follow my legacy. So his dad had a kind of patriarchal, old school sensibility that was just sort of out of time. He just happened to have it for some reason because he was just an eccentric guy. So he sort of created this mythology then and obviously Tate's you know, continued it. And there is something you might say, it's, it's silly that he's been on Big Brother and stuff, but the fact that he was in Luton had to do a bit of this and that to get by then became a kickboxing world champion. You know, then did webcam studios in Romania. You know, it's an interesting story in itself. But I think, I think that's the answer. The answer is he just, he, he has been self-consciously plotting his life story to, to self-mythologize from the start, as had his dad before him.
1: I guess one question I have for you. I mean, you are, go. as I understand it, a social conservative, a Christian. And from that point of view, Tate doesn't seem like a particularly attractive male role model. I mean, don't you find his ostentatious kind of um, big ticket purchases, you know, bragging about his cars, bragging about his glamorous girlfriends. All that kind of you know conspicuous consumption, attaching status to having money in that, but according to the kind of vulgar materialistic values of shallow Hollywood at its kind of vulgarian worst, and also you know running this um, what looked like a kind of mini porn studio. How does that sit with your Christian? conservative values don't you think well you know maybe he has some redeeming qualities he has an interesting backstory he's done quite well given his eccentric upbringing but actually his values are pretty revolting
0: yes um i mentioned these things at the end of my article i wrote a long time ago on my sub stack and you just reminded me of it here and i said i've received many messages pointing out tate isn't a conservative and that's no doubt true with his idiosyncratic views on relationship his history of running a pornographic webcam studio and his online pimping hose degree, brackets PhD, he falls slightly short of certain (laughs) purity tests. Nonetheless, (laughs) in the storming of the cathedral, now I was using that Curtis Yarvin term for the media academic complex, he is one of our finest generals and rarely have great generals been moral paragons. If we're going to win this culture war sometime before nuclear war kicks off, there was a lot of talk about nuclear war when I wrote this, we need warriors like Andrew Tate. So my argument was, you know, much like your Custer's or your, whoever, your Trumps, whoever you want to cite throughout history, or your Ulysses S. Grant, or maybe even your Lincoln. I'm sure Lincoln was. General perfect. Patton. Yeah, Patton. <laughs> Kennedy wasn't perfect. So my idea is that heroes are never perfect. And I've had all the messages from conservatives, and I've had some guy who used to be in the BNP messaging me like, oh, you've got to stop praising Andrew Tate. and Because like, this guy's now on his own sort of journey of like, everyone's got to be so pure now because you were once in the BNP. Yeah, well, I wasn't once in the BNP, mate. So I can say what I want because my conscience is clear. But... My argument is, yes, Tate is not a proper, he's not a, certainly a perfect social conservative, just as now he's, an, he's a Muslim, he's not a perfect Muslim, and some Muslims point that out. Why are you walking around with your top off? And they all have these, he breaks all kinds of rules. But my argument is he's generally a weapon in the right direction. He, he's a weapon that we need in the culture war, pro-masculinity, pro-young men, you know, against all cancel culture, against wokeness and all the nonsense, against the COVID lies, And, of course, he's not perfect, but we just have to accept his flaws. We can't be doing these endless purity tests on people, which, by the way, I fail if you're a Mark Stein fan, and you fail, Toby, if you're a Team James person. So we can't be perfect. We Just anyone on our side broadly, I try and be in favour of.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I suppose I'd question whether he really is uh, an effective um, battering ram um, to break down the you know, doors of the cathedral. Um, isn't he an asset, really, um, for the other side? In some ways, he's you know he's almost like a double agent. I mean, he's he's one of the few people out there standing up for men, making the case for masculinity, challenging the idea that traditional masculinity is toxic, uh, and yet. Here he is running a webcam porn studio, it turns out. He's been accused of sex trafficking. He supposedly assaulted a woman in the celebrity big brother house. He's at some point seemingly said that it's okay to slap your girlfriend in certain circumstances. I mean, he's almost a poster child for everything that's wrong with masculinity from the other side's point of view. So isn't he really more of an asset to the other side than he is to our side?
0: Do you know, it's a little bit like Dapper Laughs, who I now work with on Headliners, who, when he came out, he was cancelled by the comedy world because he was it's misogyny and blah, blah, blah. And he was, in a sense, a reaction to the hatred of men in the feminised culture. And he was a deliberately, deliberately crass comedic reaction. And Tate, in most of those videos, is joking. Like you, know, you watch him, you know, he's it's exaggerated male banter. And we can all pretend men don't have this banter but we all know they do. And we all know any WhatsApp group between men would get every man canceled because we all know that's how men banter. He's just said it in front of everyone and it's extreme and it's, it's sort of like deliberately provocative and it's talking about hoes and it's so sort of stupid. But if you've got a brain, you can see that it's comedic. He went on, I've said this, he went on your mum's house with Tom Segura, a big comedy podcast. And he's more funny than all the comedians. I mean, they started out by mocking him actually and doing videos against him. Eventually they realized he was funny. They had him on and it was one of their best episodes. just before he got canceled. And he's just hilarious. And if you've got a brain, you can see when he's being hilarious, when he's using hyperbole. And, you know, of course, it's, it, it beholdens the other side to take him literally. Oh, Tate's terrible. He's brainwashing our children. We'll have to get our teachers to brainwash them back. But, of course, it's not literal. If you have half a brain. I meet the real Andrew Tate. He's a nice guy. Very respectful. Takes pictures with people. Thanks, everyone. Just just super polite. This is what everyone who knows him well says. And, he's, you know, he, he's a very reliable guy. And all the women who know him well have said you know, he's super respectful, etc. cetera. Loads of people have said that. You can find it all the videos. But he has his character, Top G, who's just, you know, smoking a cigar with sunglasses inside, being as much of a dick as he can. And it's a kind of celebration of the male ego. I mean, you know, yeah, that, that's how I see it. It's, it's a large degree. Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I, yeah, sure, I'm sure that's true. That, that, but that, that, I mean, of course, his kind of, um, his there's a performative dimension to his kind of hyper-masculine persona. Um, And only a fool would take it at face value. I get that. Um, But what about his actions? Don't they speak louder than his words, which you're prepared to excuse? I mean, running a webcam porn studio. I mean, how do you... you that's pretty toxic isn't it whichever way you cut it it's not ideal
0: and this is where i lose a lot of conservatives <laughs> and they just go you can't support that and 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 he did that he was desperate for money and he was thinking of how can he what kind of scheme can he come up with he's like what assets do i have and what what um
1: you know what- we've all been desperate for money but
0: <laughs> <laughs> but we haven't had the, the genius no he he, he he was just listing his assets and his liabilities he's like what assets oh i know all these girls oh and i'll get them to do this yeah you know i don't i don't particularly Obviously, approve of that. I suppose it's, ex- it could be seen as exploiting the men who use it. I don't think it's great. <laughs> and the women. <laughs> oh, yeah, the women.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, no, I don't. The women, he's like, in prison. Yeah,
0: the- <laughs> I don't see it like that. I don't see it like that because I don't believe that. I mean, we're always told by the left, oh, okay. oh sex work is great mm-hmm. and stuff. And at the same time, they sort of try and tell us these Tate's demonically enslaving these women. It's like, it seems to me, from what I, my research, that the women chose to do it as, as a job. You know, and a job that paid them quite a lot of money for sort of sitting around doing not much. So, you know, it's like the darts girls. They banned the darts girls, didn't they? And they banned the grid girls. And now we have to have um, trans people on the grid instead in the Formula One, as if that's better. And um, what's her name? Uh, Lilani was, was tweeting about it saying, I loved being a grid girl. It was so much fun. Now they banned us. And I hate all that. It's like it, it was middle-class feminist bollocks. When they said you can't have darts girls, remember the darts girls? It was a the yeah. scandal of the dart skulls. The dart skulls, if anyone can't remember, were these attractive women who would stand near the darts, and that was pretty much it. And then some middle class feminists who didn't have their particular gifts and had different gifts shut them down and got it shut down. I hate this because beauty is a certain gift. We're all given different talents. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, smart. I'm funny and and good looking. I mean, it's very rare. But these <laughs> dart girls happen to be good looking women. And that's their gift, and that's what they cultivate. And you can improve your looks even more, and so on, and and that's and that's what they do. Then other women are more intellectual. Why should those women shut those other women down and say they're not allowed to do it because they think it's exploitative? But the women doing it don't think that. So what, so isn't it really misogyn? Isn't it actually a kind of anti-women thing to shut them down? So I think a similar thing about the uh, girls that choose to do this kind of work, even even if you don't particularly approve them.
1: Okay, I'm a
0: feminist, right. basically, Toby. <laughs> You're not convinced by that argument. I mean, a lot of times when you say, "I've got a question for you," you really just want to make a rhetorical point. I don't think you really have a question for me, but, <laughs> but I don't think I've convinced you.
1: Well, I, I'm not sure that um, I'm not sure that Andrew Tate is um, a useful ally in the culture war. Um, I think, if anything, he's an ally of the other side and we ought to be slightly wary. I mean, you know, it's given how often he's attacked and, you know, how unfashionable it is to defend him and obviously some of the charges are exaggerated and he isn't as bad as he's painted and people enter into this kind of pretense of taking what he says at face value so they can kind of condemn him for it when it's clearly not intended at face value. I get all that. Um, But at the same time, I think, you know, you seem to be giving him too great a benefit of the doubt, I think.
0: Well, I think it is Christian of me because I just don't believe in these perfect people. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm never sure I'm a great person. Sometimes I look at the behavior of other people and I go, maybe I am better than 99% of them. But I just see things. I see myself as very flawed and I see people as flawed. I mean, there was that Sufjan Stevens song where he's talking about John Wayne Gacy, the serial killer. And he said, "In my best behavior, I'm really just like him." And I was thinking, probably not just like him because you haven't killed a load of children. But I see his point. He, he was—he so, he was, was, was a Christian singer, songwriter, and I thought, yeah, it's a Christian point that, that, of course, you can go too far, not judging and allow like every degeneracy of the left. So I do see that, but I just—I just find it hard to judge people who are basically on our side, who are flawed. You know, you've come from no money in Luton. Who knows what you would do, Toby, if you came from no money in Luton? With a kind of mad background, I mean, who knows what you would do if you know if you didn't have your advantages? Maybe you would start a webcam studio in Romania.
1: I guess um, you're
0: quite enterprising. One,
1: <laughs> well, what one worry I have is that um, you know maybe you maybe you should um, you know take a leaf out of the book of various liberal celebrities who, down the years, have kind of championed. You know, supposedly um, victims of uh, miscarriages of justice, you know, convicted murderers, child killers who they claim aren't really guilty. And they've and they've and they've championed the cause of the they've, they've financed their appeals. They then get out of jail. The celebrities have a big party in which they invite the now freed victim, and uh, and then like a week later he kills somebody, he kills a child, you know, and they realize that that you know they've, they've been championing the wrong guy. Aren't you slightly worried that um, in due course, you know, it is going to emerge that you know uh, the top G really has been involved in sex trafficking even confesses to it and um uh, and then are you worried that that might make you look slightly foolish isn't it, it wouldn't isn't it didn't your natural caution dictate that you should be a little bit wary of kind of taking to your bosom someone who's been accused of sex trafficking and is awaiting trial
0: no because i go with my gut instinct to my intuition and it's never been wrong i suppose the, the, there's an outside chance it could be with tape just because i don't personally know him well enough but i've watched his content for years <laughs> i have met him and I, I just tend to go with my gut on it. You know, my gut is that he's all the things he does that are sort of not great are kind of out in the open pretty much, you know. They're, and they've been through all his computers now and all his stuff and they haven't seemed to find anything. They've not managed to charge him in three months and they've certainly been trying. So there's also that. Much like with Trump, they've, they've gone after him with actually everything they can get and they've got some dodgy, he didn't file a legal thing properly, you know. Okay. And he was, it was hush money to a porn star, but, you know, Given how much they've tried to get on Trump, and and the fact you've been a billionaire real estate guy in New York, I just think it's pretty minor, given what we're going to find out about people like Hunter Biden. Know that, but so my thing, Toby, is this: I go with my instinct. I don't believe, I just believe, I just believe he is innocent, at least of the you know the the trafficking and all that. He's not innocent of running webcam studios, as discussed. But I think the bad stuff about Tate is pretty much known, and uh, that's Impressive. my position. You know, I mean, I'm, I've never been wrong. I've never been wrong about anyone yet, Toby. If I have doubts about them they're always right. And if I think they're basically a good person, despite what people say, like a lot of my friends, like, you know, people would say, "Oh, they, their views are terrible. Like someone like Callum or someone, but obviously a great guy with a pure heart. And I can just tell, maybe I'm, you might say I'm overlying on my intuition, but it's just, it's, it's got me this far as they say. Okay. Um. So, all right, that's top G. That was a good, good bit on top G. Let's see if you're team Toby or team Nick on that one. That's one where <laughs> the audience might be team Toby. Cause that's the one where I get one of some of the most criticism. Um, but let's move on. Should we do the trans thing? But, but yep. We always like to do a bit of trans stuff. And um, this trans madness has just has just got out of hand following the Nashville shooting. We covered the shooting last week. But since then, we've had the media response to it. And there were some really disgusting responses from the mainstream media, from NBC and from Reuters. I'm just going to look cause I've got some of them in front of me. I need a better system for collating all my tweets together. But Reuters said uh, a former Christian student was a really w- strange way they described it. They were desperate to kind of avoid describing it as a trans killer. So they said a former Christian school student, student shoots, you know, kills six people. I can't find the exact quote. NBC had a similar thing. Here we go. Here we go. So Reuters said former Christian school student kills three children, three staff in Nashville shooting. And I said it sounds like another austere religious scholar. You know, when they describe Baghdadi, this Islamic terrorist, as an austere religious scholar. I think that was New York Times or Washington Post, one of them. And they've managed to, you know, frame it as a former Christian school student. What you mean as a trans person killing Christians. NBC News. Fear pervades Tennessee's trans community amid focus on Nashville shooters' gender identity. We were already fearing our, for our lives. Now it's even worse. And I wrote, just in case you thought the dead children were the real victims. They've managed to make trans people the victims. Daily Mail US, Nashville mass school shooter was rejected by her Christian parents. Oh, it's the Christian parents' fault. I see. Then the White House press secretary, Corrine, whatever she's called, idiot woman, said trans people are under attack right now. She said that three days after a trans person murdered three children and three adults. Just think about that. And it was was so many disgusting things. Katie Hobbs' press secretary posted a meme about saying something about this is what we do to transphobes with a person with guns. And she resigned after that. Carly Prevenza of Wyoming, Democrat state representative, posted a similar meme, with was a trans type meme with someone with a gun. As far as I know, she's still in place. And so it's been absolutely disgusting. David Packman had this disgusting response, which we could discuss how, that's, how I think that's different from what Alex Jones did, but even though what he did wasn't great. But he said, very surprising there'd be a mass shooting at a Christian school given that lack of prayer is often blamed for these horrible events. Is it possible they weren't praying enough or correctly despite being a Christian school? Absolutely disgusting tweet. Even he being on the left lost some advertisers and he wrote, all right, too many anti-Semitic attacks and threats on my family. I've deleted the tweet. Claimed anti-Semitism when people didn't like his disgusting tweet. And um, just as I'll stop talking in a minute, Toby, but there was also the trans day of vengeance that was planned before the shooting, this was planned by the trans radical activist network that got cancelled for this being obviously obscenely controversial and disgusting. And then there was the Trans Day of Visibility, which was a kind of sort of sanitised version of that. That the White House, I think, had something to say about. What did you make of all this, Toby?
1: Yeah, no, that that's what I wanted to focus on the um, on the transgender day of visibility. Um, which which wasn't cancelled um, in the wake of the school shooting, um, the White House um, on Twitter endorsed this idea that there is an epidemic of violence against trans people. So the White House um, produced this tweet in which they set out what action they were going to take to protect the transgender community. And one of the bullet points was coordinated interagency action to address the epidemic of violence against trans people. And um, often, at you know pro-trans demos, you see trans activists holding up placards saying "Stop trans genocide." And as part of the victim narrative, uh, they very much trans activists and their allies, including seemingly President Biden repeatedly promote this idea that trans people are disproportionately likely to be the victims of violence, that there is a genocide uh, currently taking place against trans people. And um, I remember commissioning a piece from an African American uh, assistant professor of political science called Wilfred Riley um, at Quillette when I was an editor at Quillette. I think it was in 2019. I said, Wilfred, you're you're, you, you know your way around these um, uh, crime databases. Is there an epidemic of violence against trans people? Are trans people more likely to be the victims of homicide than the general population? And he drilled down into some of these databases and discovered that not only were trans people less likely to be, he, he didn't, he, he, not only was it not true that trans people were more likely to be the victims of homicide than everyone else, but actually they're significantly less likely. And that finding has been replicated a number of times since. So Noah Carr, um, regular contributor to the Daily Skeptic, had a piece in Unheard on Monday, in which he did a fact check of the claim that there is an epidemic of anti-trans violence um, and found, he did find one study Um, which uh, suggested that they were more likely to be um, victims of violent attacks than other groups. But um, another four studies, which found they were much less likely uh, to be murdered than other groups. So in one particular study, the researchers found that trans people made up 0.1% of homicide victims. Compared, And if you compare that to... Um, the supposed percentage of the population, which is trans, which according to trans activists is 0.6% or higher, then trans people are six times less likely to be murdered than you'd expect given their proportion of the population. I mean, I guess trans activists are in a slight pickle over this because, you know, um, uh, on the one hand, they want to exaggerate the number of trans people there are in the population, but then that, that 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 puts them in a in a bit of difficulty when you discover just how tiny the number of trans people who are the victims of homicide are. Um, so uh, yeah, but it looks like you know if you drill down into the data, if you look at the crime data, uh, the reality is that trans people are less likely to be certainly um, killed, murdered than. Um, uh, uh, other groups um, and this idea that they are that there is a genocide against trans people is just for the birds. It's just a complete fiction, and you know, very disappointing to see the White House trafficking in this. What is clearly misinformation.
0: Yeah, and I suppose the question is, why is this myth propagated? And I suppose my answer would be by people like the Biden administration. It's done cynically for political gain. And and then lots of useful idiots genuinely believe it. As most things go, I mean, does that seem fair? It's not real.
1: Well, yeah, it's, it's it was an interesting. A former FT contributor tweeted something earlier this week in which they said, I think they'd reviewed they'd reviewed a book, um, and um, and they pointed out that um, trans people were rarely the victims of homicide in the course of reviewing this book. I think that was the phrase they used. And they were asked by their editor at the Financial Times to remove that line. And I think, why did the editor ask the reviewer to remove that line? I mean, the reviewer pushed back and said, well, why should I remove it? It's true. And the editor said, yeah, it's not a question of whether it's true or not. Um, uh, it, we just we just don't want to deal with the pushback. You know, we don't want to deal with the flack we'll get from trans activists and indeed some of their allies amongst the junior staff members of the Financial Times. Uh, if we print that line, and it was like you know they accuse us of trafficking in misinformation, um, uh, as though they have a you know holy regard for the truth. I mean, they the other side. Supporters of the narrative. Um, But, you know, when it comes to issues like how many, you know, whether trans people are disproportionately likely to be the victims of violence or homicide, you know, they're the ones trafficking in misinformation. Even the Financial Times, you know, it's sort of understandable, I suppose, in the case of Joe Biden. He's kind of, you know, pandering to his. Um, who think of themselves as trans allies, um, but why the FT? The FT is supposed to be a really reputable newspaper, um, no. which doesn't have any truck with misinformation and is frequently criticising others for trafficking yeah. in misinformation. It's like it's shocking. But they're globalist.
0: FT are globalist. I mean, you know, they're one of those globalists. They're, they're on they're on board with the narrative. But and it's funny. What that's called malinformation, though, isn't it? Stuff that's true. But it's yes. still dangerous. So that would be a case of malinformation by their terms. exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's uh, malinformation um, is information that's true, but can be used to support a narrative which harms vulnerable, disadvantaged identity groups. So you could publish if you, if you publish the, if you say you know if you if you if you point out that there is no such thing as a genocide against the trans community. That's malinformation because it, because it, because it, 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 it's like, it's like, you're not even kind of, it's not like, I mean, why should just pointing that out contribute to harming? I mean, you're not, you're you're just taking away one of their false claims to victimhood. Why is that somehow harming them? It's just ludicrous. But anyway, yeah, you're right. It's classed as malinformation.
0: And can you answer this? Um, If I can, Correctly formulate the question. You may not agree with the premise. I mean, I was thinking about this. I meant to mention it in the Biden section. I was thinking how, if you have a sort of Leninist revolution like the Bolsheviks or something, it's pretty simple. You seize power, and then you're now dictating everything. You tend to slaughter your opponents or whatever, imprison them, gulags, that type of thing. Pretty standard, right? But what's happened with the Democrats is that it's this. It's it's not a new. It's not a revolution. But it's the neolibs of old that people who I work with on GB seem to think, some people seem to think the Democrats still are. You speak to sort of normal people. They seem to like vaguely imagine they're still the neoliberal Democrats they knew, who are a bit more benign and maybe seem to care a bit about free speech or something. What we now have is this radical left Democrats who uh, woke, basically. So what's interesting, though, is they're the same people. Joe Biden's still there, but now he has to have Dylan Mulvaney in the White House and he has to buy into all that. So my question to is, Toby, is that where does the who is being disingenuous and what is the tactic my interpretation is this the democrats have gone radical even though it's the same people and they've realized it it, it gives them some political advantage to push all this garbage that they know is garbage but the useful idiots who are going around chanting protect trans kids or something or whatever just chanting like inane garbage obviously brainwashed idiots but, it, but, and it, but it's useful for the regime. It's useful for them to have Antifa. It's useful for them to have Black Lives Matter. People like Hillary Clinton are too smart to actually believe this stuff. Even Biden, much too shrewd, operator, maybe a bit past it now. What is going on there? Because it's, it's like a revolution has taken place, a cultural revolution, mm. but actually it's the same people in place at the top, you know, and they're just sort of allowing or, or benefiting from this.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think the, the conspiracy theory that maintains the woke cult is being promoted by the um, neoliberal global capitalist elite for self-interested reasons. I think goes like this: they 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 were threatened by the various protests um, in the kind of 2010s, um, the St. Paul's protests, the protests in Wall Street, which identified and targeted the one percent and seemed to be campaigning for old-fashioned equality. Um, that, that they found quite threatening, um, that, 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 uh, that, that, that they wanted to try and do their best to defuse. Um, uh, so instead, they promoted this idea that instead of targeting the richest 1% and demanding, you know, a smaller differential between the highest paid and lowest paid workers in these multinational billion dollar companies, it would be much easier for them to accommodate a protest movement that didn't demand the most highly paid people cut their salaries or the poorest people be paid any more, but just demanded that a few people of color and women and gays be promoted to the board. They could accommodate that without really giving up any of their privileges. It was a much easier form of radicalism to absorb. And, you know, Of course, when they embrace kind of identity politics in their advertising campaigns, whether it's Budweiser sticking Dylan Mulvaney, uh, whether it's um, uh, Gillette um, talking about toxic males, whatever nonsense it is, um, the reason they embrace these woke advertising campaigns and seem to be pandering to these activist groups, actually they know secretly that that really antagonizes the kind of white working class indigenous populations in America and elsewhere and makes them more likely to vote Republican. And that actually helps them because Republican Republicans in office are much less likely to regulate their companies and lo- less likely to raise Taxes. So actually, it's in their diabolical four dimensional chess interests to support woke identity politics because they don't want to see, you know, um, real radicals, real egalitarians, real socialists get in, regulate them, raise taxes, force them to give up some of their privileges. So it's all part of their diabolical plan to maintain their extraordinary privileged 1% status. I think that's the conspiracy theory linking neoliberalism to the woke agenda.
0: I was going to say, why is it a conspiracy? Until the very end, you just described (laughs) the obvious truth. But when you then said to get Republicans in, that's the only part that seemed like a conspiracy theory to me. The rest just seems to be absolutely true. I mean, yes, you're right. Post-2008, Occupy Wall Street scared them. Trump scared them. Brexit scared them. Brazil. I've seen Gates talk about this, Bill Gates. I wish I had the exact thing, but he basically admitted... There's these threats from nationalism around the world, and we've got to like respond. So they're threatened by nationalism. They're threatened by, like you say, the danger they'll be sort of usurped, and the liberal agenda will be usurped. Yes, perhaps by socialists and perhaps by occupy, but also by nationalism, the right wing nationalism movement that also emerged. The Bannon, the Bannon Trump thing, the Orbans, whoever it is around the around the world. That, that's what they seem to be afraid of. So you're right, and. And therefore, it's very easy to have this faux activism. And it reminds me of, I've just watched a, a Disney shareholder meeting that was live streamed. I've just watched some clips from it. A bit late to be included probably in this show. But they're all complaining about why we're we following this woke agenda and losing money. But well, one of them says also, you've been cozying up to communist China. You would, you've been a, a appeasing them with some of the things we've done. Yet they're doing genocide, etc., human rights abuses. So it's far easier to have Dylan Mulvaney in your campaign than it is to stand up to China. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I suppose we're not saying anything new there, but I suppose that, that is what it is. It, it's, it's, an, it's an attempt to protect themselves by paying lip service to radical ideology that actually isn't radical. Mm. It's just sort of fake. Yeah.
1: And I, I think I think there's, a, there's another dimension to it too, which is that um, if you think of the uh, populist revolts that resulted in Brexit, Trump winning the presidential election, various far right parties doing well in Poland and Hungary and elsewhere. Um, It was partly a response to the failure of the global liberal elite, their failure uh, in 2007-08 during the global credit crunch and their failure in, you know, the war on terror two kind of colossal acts of mismanagement and incompetence. And the global elite, the technocratic managerial class, their claim to legitimacy is that they're competent, they're experts, they're more intelligent, and better educated than us. They are the people we should appoint and trust to be stewards of our welfare, because they're just smart, and they know things we don't. And yet here they were, screwing up shitting the bed on a colossal scale making everyone's lives worse um endangering global security and so on and so forth so they were desperately searching particularly after the populist revolts of 2016 for some other source of authority you know we're busted when it comes to expertise intelligence. What else can we come up with? I know, moral superiority. So you can. Tr- we should be the stewards. We should remain in control. You shouldn't take power away from us because we're the people who are going to protect these vulnerable disadvantaged groups. We're the people who are going to make reparations for all the sins that have been committed against African Americans and the global South. It became a kind of new way of giving themselves some legitimacy and authority, a way of justifying their continuing power in the wake of all the kind of colossal mismanagement and the loss of trust in them um, that had had sort of unfolded over the previous 10 years. And that's, of course, why they went all in on the pandemic. Here 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 was an opportunity to restore... Saw their um, reputation for competence, for expertise—you um, know, we know how to deal with a crisis like this. You know, trust us. Um, uh, and uh, and of course, they completely screwed that up too. So now they're kind of fl- flailing around and doubling down on woke bullshit, and you know, going going all in on net zero. Oh. oh. Trust us, we are the only people who can stop the planet catching fire in the next seven years. You know, it all feels like a of desperate attempt to cling on to power in the wake of, you know, the exposure of them as having feet of clay.
0: Very interesting. All right, I thought that was a great summary. Okay, so grooming gangs are back in the news. The grooming gang scandal in the UK is back because Rishi Sunak has said he's not going to let political correctness stop him dealing with this problem. And Suella Bravman has said the same thing in sort of typically slightly more bold terms. Now the whole liberal media is having a meltdown on Twitter saying it's somehow racist. There's been some incredible examples of this. This Adol Ray guy, who seems to just pop up saying awful stuff all the time, he was calling it racist for even being suggested. He cited Colin Brazier on the radio as saying something racist. Then Carl Benjamin basically completely dismantled him on Twitter saying, well, are you saying this is wrong? And Adel goes, of course he's wrong, it's bigoted, it's racism. Then Carl goes, you'll have to forgive me because it seems you're saying that clans in Pakistan have modern Western attitudes towards women, which is difficult to believe. And then people were citing, you know, Pakistan's one of the most dangerous countries for women in the world with with various statistics. And it was fascinating, Adel ended up backing down and saying, let's stick together to tackle abuse. I mean, someone said it's ranked 167th out of 170 for women's health, it's the sixth most dangerous country for women in regards to domestic violence, he suddenly said, yes, there's modern human rights problems, but Britain has those as well. Let's stand together to prevent it. It's very rare that a wokist kind of backs down and says, let's stand together. That's when you know they've really lost the argument. And and you pointed out just before we went on air, this absurd example from Diane Abbott. Disgraceful Tories are going on about Pakistani grooming gangs. Home office research shows majority of child abusers are white. Nothing else to say. Tories are playing the race card. And I said, Diane complaining about the race card. Does she think April Fool's is the next working day? Because she posted it on the Monday after April Fool's. And it's just like beggar's belief, really. Because Anyone who knows Diane Abbott knows that's pretty much all she does. And even Nick Timothy said, even I'm surprised how quickly the left has reverted to type over the grooming gangs. So and basically, grooming gang scandal was blocked and ignored. We know famously because of political correctness and sensitivities about race, it comes up again. Rishi Sunak says, we're not going to let that stop us. What do, the, what do the lefties do? They all say, stop being racist.
1: Yeah, it feels like um, a trap that um, Rishi and his team set for the Labour Party and a trap that they've just kind of blindly walked into, at least Diane Abbott has. I don't think Keir Starmer's weighed in on this yet. But uh, yeah, extraordinary. You would have thought that anyone with an ounce of political sense would have um, applauded Rishi Sunak for saying he's finally going to clamp down on what is a festering problem in some of our cities, particularly in the north of England. Um, but instead, they're accusing him and Sweller Braverman of playing the race card. I mean, it is absolutely extraordinary. But I suppose you know a, a better a better response, you know, if you're if you're in the opposition and hoping to win the next election, would be to say, "Yeah, w- w- absolutely, but why is it taking you 13 years?" to set up a task force to deal with this problem. You know, um, uh, where have you been? Um, we, did, 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 did This this, this has been a, yeah, this problem was exposed at least 10 years ago. And finally, you're getting around to doing something about it. Um, that would be my response if I was leader of the opposition.
0: Yeah. What do you make of Sunak actually tackling this? I mean, as you say, too late. But the more red-pilled or black-pilled listeners will say, of course nothing he's not gonna do anything, he's as bad as the rest of them, and certainly I'm pretty disillusioned and would never vote Tory. But all that considered, Sunak is actually trying to do some things. Obviously he tried to do that Brexit deal, where well, he did do that Brexit deal. He's tried to tackle this, he's at least trying to tackle the small boats. It seems to me that Tories are now so desperate. He knows he has this last chance, Sunak, and obviously all the polls are massively against him. Do you think it's a rare instance where he is actually trying to do some of the things that the the population desperately want him to?
1: Yes. I mean I think um I didn't, like you, I didn't have, you know, very high hopes for Rishi Sunak and initially thought um, that he'd be much more centrist and um, boring than Boris Johnson was or Liz Truss, we hoped, you know, would be. Um, uh, But actually, yeah, he is beginning to do some you know, some properly conservative things. So at one point, I think on this podcast, didn't we have a kind of uh, a section in which we were doing too good, too bad? I think it was when Liz Truss was PM um, and there was quite a lot to celebrate. We thought, I think we dropped it because we thought there'd be just nothing conservative to yeah. celebrate when Rishi Sunak became PM. But actually he has been doing some reasonably conservative things. I mean, let's park the uh, Windsor framework. Um, You know, um, I'm not sure that was... Um, Uh, A particularly conservative uh, measure. Um, And, uh, you know, I I, I admire his effort to kind of put that issue to bed um, before the next election and to try and end the kind of internal civil war over it within the Conservative Party. And he does seem to have largely succeeded in achieving that, even if the Windsor framework is far from perfect, and doesn't solve the problem of, you know, there being a border in the Irish Sea. Um, But yeah, I think... um, Trying to do something about the small boats using his political capital to get the illegal migration bill through parliament. I mean, they're going to struggle to get it through the Lords, but they might end up proroguing parliament in order to get it through the Lords, which would be quite bold and, you know, in some ways quite impressive and show that he's serious about this. And, you know, we've had this small boats problem for a long time, and previous prime ministers, supposedly more conservative than him, haven't really done anything about it. So. Let's roll the dice. Let's see if this actually works. And, you know, he can overcome any attempts to obstruct the deportation of people arriving on small boats by the European court. Um, and uh, and now, you know, seemingly wanting to do something about grooming gangs. I mean, it's, um, you know the jury's out and he may not succeed. And as you say, it may all be talk. but if he's going to win the next general election, which is a pretty tall order, I think he's going to have to be able to point to some successes and, you know, particularly to kind of hold on to those red wall seats. And so he needs to be able to point to a success when it comes to the small boats, a success when it comes to stopping and jailing some of these grooming gangs. And so maybe he's serious about it. It's also, I think it's quite encouraging from another point of view too, which is, um, One thing we're going to talk about, I think we can talk about it now, is the Worker Protection Bill, this um, uh, private members bill that's been um, tabled by two Liberal uh, Democrats, one in the House of Lords and one in the House of Commons. We're a hobhouse. I think you've got something to say about her in a minute. Um, But um, it's going to turbocharge the Equality Act. I mean, the Equality Act, I think, was probably the worst piece of legislation brought in by the last Labour government. And it was like a, a time bomb left beneath their conservative successors. And um, it's essentially really limited the room for maneuver uh, of those successors, um, constrained them, um, uh, essentially imposed a kind of um, left-wing ideology within workplaces up and down the country. Uh, But the Worker Protection Bill is going to make that 10 times worse. It's going to turbo boost. It's going to put the Equality Act on steroids. It's essentially going to extend employer liability Uh, to third party harassment. At the moment, if you're an employer, you're only liable for harassment if it's employee on employee harassment. So the reason, you know, employees are forced to do unconscious bias training, anti-racism training, the reason words and phrases are banned in workplaces across the country is because employers are expected to take all reasonable steps to protect their employees from being harassed by other employees so you have this kind of awful compliance culture in workplaces now and you know massive boon for the diversity sector Um, but um, what this bill will do will be to extend that liability to third parties so now if an employee is harassed by a customer they come into contact with in the course of doing their job they'll be able to sue their employers so that means you know a barmaid will be able to sue a publican if she overhears Um, two customers telling a saucy joke in a pub. It'll mean that um, hotel staff will be able to sue their employers if um, uh, a feminist walks in wearing a t-shirt saying, um, uh, woman equals adult human female. Um, A partially sighted steward at a football ground will be able to sue the football club if he overhears a fan saying to the linesman, are you blind? Because he'll claim that you know that's that's a form of harassment. Doesn't matter; if it's not directed at him if he overhears it and it relates to a protected characteristic. In his case, his disability. He'll be able to sue his employer. So the compliance culture, that culture of conformity of of, of horrid rule following that has ruined has toxified workplaces uh, across the country, will now be extended to pubs, to restaurants, to bars, to football grounds, to hotels, as a result of this bill which the the conservative government is seemingly four square behind um so we need to kill this bill as best we can and the free speech union is working on that um but it gives me hope to see rishi kind of um go all in on these kind of anti-woke policy initiatives because it makes it harder for him to at the same time support the worker protection bill so yeah i I've, i've so far i think um rishi's exceeded expectations for me
0: okay well i'll give my take on both yeah we had a section called pros and cons didn't work because the Tories then decided to just completely destroy their party but you are saying maybe we could bring it back rishi my impression is you i don't see him much i don't feel like he's the prime minister i don't really see him but he's not like as present as someone like boris johnson boris johnson was ever present except for his frequent holidays where even those became massive topics whereas rishi i, I feel it's just my loose impression i don't really see him much but That he is actually trying to work and actually, I'm sure he's a very hard worker, and actually get these things done doesn't mean I'm going to suddenly have faith in the Tories again. Obviously, and the country's still basically finished, but he is trying to do some stuff. But as you say, they've got this worker protection bill, which bizarrely it seems to have been waved through and kind of it just sort of got through. No one was in Parliament those days, or you know, there was various sort of technical reasons why it was allowed to slide through. According to the Telegraph thing I was reading, but yeah, like you say, it comes from we're a hobhouse. And I was going to say she should be called "We're a bit dumb because she's this Lib Dem who, along with Lady Burt, another Lib Dem, has, uh, has, has put forward this bill. And Hobhouse told The Telegraph, one person's banter is another person's harassment, which is already kind of awful. And she says, my bill aims to create workplaces where employers ensure that their employees get a proper hearing if they feel they are being harassed rather than being ignored or dismissed. This bill is not about stopping respectful discussion of controversial issues. Well, I'm sure that'll work. I mean, I'm sure that's going to be fine. I'm sure workplaces are still going to be, oh, wait, let's have all sorts of controversial discussions, guys. But by the way, the the boss can get sued if any if a customer says something. So, yeah, I'm sure that's going to encourage respectful debate in the workplace. Like you say, absolutely already an incredibly horrific environment to be in a workplace where one email can get you cancelled forever because you you know looked at a woman's knee in 1974. But now we've got this. You to be sick customers, the fact that customers can make an offensive remark and you can get your landlord sacked, I mean, or sued. It's absolutely insane. And I had a controversial point in this, Toby. This, uh, where a hobhouse person is a German. I'm sure the Germans, we all know the Germans, great people, but they do love a rule and they do love micromanaging behavior. And they are a tad more authoritarian, can, could it be said, than the English. So when we hear about bills like this sometimes, that feel instinctively wrong to us, you know, it's what sort of my friend Carl might call our tribal gods. Meaning, so Carl Benjamin has stopped trying to make the case for sort of the objective superiority of liberalism or something like that. He just simply says, this is what we prefer as English people. Free speech is one of our traditions. And, you know, a certain loose understanding you know, of, you know, of work, a certain banter is, is part of our tradition. So when we hear something that's micromanaging rules to this extent and, and micromanaging free speech we just instinctively rebel against it because we're English. So I, I do think it's relevant that this came from a, a German person. Or do you think that's just pure xenophobia?
1: I don't know. I, I, might, I, I, I think I would have um, given that more credence prior to the pandemic in which, you know, um, characteristics we had previously prided ourselves on not having and thinking of as German, such as, you know, Um, telling tales on our neighbors, calling the police if they broke some petty regulation, um, suddenly became very typical of, you know, the English. And it became obvious that um, the idea that Nazism could never take root here, you know, to use George Orwell's phrase because we just laugh at people goose stepping down the street. Nice idea, but I'm not sure that's true anymore.
0: Yeah, it did it did divide us into the classically English people and the who like free speech and the curtains which which like you say is part of Englishness as well. There is an English aspect that doesn't like anyone to have fun behind their back and like, oh it looks like someone at number six is having a tiny amount of fun during that. We better shut that down in in the name of fairness. And there is something about Englishness about all wanting to be miserable together. So there is also that. So I could be wrong, but I wasn't surprised this came from a German, but I am surprised that the Tories are putting it through when it comes from some Lib Dems. And we all know the Lib Dems formerly reasonable party have gone completely mad.
1: Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's, uh, I think, I think the truth is that um, the two Lib Dems who've tabled, sponsored the bill were probably put up to it by the Government Equalities Office, which is an activist Whitehall department. And one of the uh, unfortunate consequences of having gone through so many prime ministers in very quick succession is that there is um, a a kind of vacuum at the centre in the executive where power normally is um, in the British government. And that has effectively empowered uh, Whitehall departments and enabled... Departments like the Government Equalities Office to get get through uh, measures that in normal times, when we had you know uh, a prime minister who'd been in office for more than a year, um, wouldn't be able to get through. Um, just one point, Nick, that um, is relevant to you and your tribe. So I don't know if you recall, but Constantine Kissin um, was asked at one point before performing a comedy gig to sign. Um, a contract whereby he promised not to make jokes on certain. How can I forget? He got incredible so media
0: coverage for it. Yeah,
1: he got incredible He milked it for all it as well. Um But um, uh, comedy clubs um, aren't legally obliged to get performers to sign those sorts of contracts at the moment under the Equality Act. That may be how it was presented to constantin back then but actually that was a misinterpretation of the equality act because comedians as far as the equality act as it stands are concerned are classed as third parties so if a uh, someone working at a comedy club feels offended by something you say as a performer at that club they can't sue their employer they can only sue their employer if it's employee on employee harassment not third party harassment and for the time being a comedian saying something they found upsetting or offensive in virtue of one of their protected characteristics, that would be third party harassment. And employers aren't liable for that. So employers don't aren't legally bound to ask performers to sign these contracts with all their morality clauses. But if the worker protection bill goes through, and employers do become liable for third party harassment of their employees, then every comedian, would be asked to sign one of these agreements and many would be excluded if um, you know if they if they were going to tell any jokes that could potentially upset or offend any of the snowflake staff at the comedy club in question so it will effectively kill anything other than the most woke earnest horribly unfunny comedy that's one of the many consequences of this bill if it goes through i
0: remember at the top secret comedy club in Covent garden which i used to play all the time people would complain quite frequently to the owner a comedian has said something, and he just used to sort of tell them to get lost, basically. And he even had a routine, because he'd sometimes be the MC, where he'd say, yeah, you can just uh, email the manager. Because like, uh, uh, they'd also sometimes be offended about something he'd said, and he'd say, yeah, email the manager, which was him. And he had this whole routine about how he, they could email anyone. It always ended in him. He, he basically didn't care. But surely in this new bill, they could they could come to the manager and say the comedian said this, and and he could be threatened. But also they could say like another person sitting next to them offended them. Couldn't they say, Toby, that that the people around them laughing at something they found offensive offended them and try and get the owner
1: sued? Yeah, they might, they might, I think they could, they could probably, if if they were, you know, um, uh, trans, let's say a trans person is working at the O2 and Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle are on the bill and they tell some quote unquote transphobic jokes Um, uh, and the audience kind of laughs it up yeah, they could claim that effectively the, um, the third parties uh, at that club have created a hostile environment um, in virtue of their protected characteristic. They didn't feel welcome. They didn't feel valued as trans people. They felt that the crowd and the comedian was hostile to them and they could sue their employer for not taking all reasonable steps. That's the legal phrase to protect them from that kind of harassment.
0: Matt. And I think this hobhouse person. I did a quick bit of research on her, and I believe she was trying to put through various kind of anti-harassment things going back since to about 2005 or something. It seemed like she just had a long history at this, I and mean, she originally was a conservative, bizarrely, but she had she she tried to put through something quite similar a long time ago, just you know around sort of harassment. So she's kind of obsessed with like the idea that all sort of chat is. It's harassment, basically. It's a very dangerous uh, way of thinking. Well,
1: interesting, you should you, you should you should say something similar. I mean, when the Equality Act was originally passed, um, employers were liable for third party harassment, but the bar was quite high. So, as the Equality Act was orig- as it was written originally, um, in order to sue as an employee, in order to sue your employer for not taking all reasonable steps to protect you from third party harassment, the third party harassment had to be um, repeated harassment, so it had to happen three times before you could sue your employer. Like it happened once, you alert your employer to. It. If they do nothing, not just once but twice, and it happens a third time, then you could have a case against your employer. So the bar was higher than it's than it than it's proposed to be under the Worker Protection Bill. But interestingly, that aspect of the Equality Act was repealed in 2013 by the coalition government so you know if this government waves through the worker protection bill it'll be an even more draconian version of the equality act than was passed by the last labor government in 2010 and far far more liberal than anything the lib dem conservative coalition government was willing to countenance in
0: 2013 wow and just to finish on this Because you do a lot of great work in this area, Toby. What are you doing? I don't know if you're allowed to say, but you're basically, as usual, trying to single-handedly stop this, aren't you?
1: Yeah, well, we're we're, we're doing what we can behind the scenes to try and um, uh, derail um, this bill. And um, our campaign to try and um, uh, disrupt it, disrupt its passage through Parliament. And it's got quite far. I mean, it, it had its second reading in the House of Lords. It sailed through on its second reading, at the House of Commons. So it's, you know, it's weeks away from becoming law. So there's a ticking clock here. Um, but there was a very helpful piece in the Sunday Telegraph on Sunday, um, saying that, um, Backbenchers had, had, in the Conservative Party had woken up to the risk that this bill poses um, and um, were unhappy about it. And, um, and I think because it's so at odds with Rishi's so-called war on woke, I'm hopeful now that the government will find a way to um, stop it. Okay.
0: I almost forgot we were going to quickly do our occasional section, which is Birdwatch. <laughs> Do you want to quickly do this, Toby, because it's a very interesting one. I don't know if we have time, though, really, but AOC, maybe we should just do it briefly, was uh, was accused of having a burner account. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, of course, uh, the annoying lefty American politician, was accused of having this burner account. So she replied, or this account replied to someone in the first person. He had been re- He had been talking to AOC. Then the account suddenly replied to him, but the account used the first person. And uh, he said, but you vote to send money to Nazis and to fund the Israeli apartheid. I mean, itself a fairly extreme tweet, but hey, at least you stood up to a TikTok star. Then the account replied, lol, and what makes you think I did anything to support Nazis? Your delusional seek help. And it was from this account, Zazar Demon, and it was at Zazar Smoker. And people have pointed out Zazar is a sometimes an abbreviation for Alexander, or presumably Alexandria, and that Smoker could mean demon uh, could mean burner so it's at zaza smoker and then it sounds like and why did it respond in the first person and people are saying well it's aoc tweeting from the wrong account and then you look at other things it said and it's replied to matt walsh and said you're a hateful little freak and i can't wait until you piss off a trans person that actually is as unhinged as you claim to say they all are can't be a bigot if you're no longer breathing and she also called libs of tiktok the c word which is the kind of thing i'm not i'm not making any allegations but if you were going to be a sock puppet account for AOC. That is exactly the kind of thing you would do. And then and then Matt Walsh re- replied to it and said, hi, AOC, this isn't you wishing death on me, is it? Many are speculating this is your burner account. You need to come out and denounce this kind of rhetoric or we can only assume that you support it. And he says elsewhere, that's those are the rules that they have created. And also, even if that's not her, there is a tweet where 30-odd thousand people have uh, liked about Matt Walsh. And it says, if AOC really threatened Matt Walsh's life from a burner account called Zaza Smoker, I'd vote for her twice, three times if she went through with it, four times if she tortured him first. And this has like 30,000 likes. So the continuing escalation of violence in America or threat of violence, but is AOC tweeting from a sock puppet account?
1: Yeah. I mean, isn't this a case of, you know, um, right wing trolls, some of whom probably still live with their parents, um, uh, assuming that the MO of AOC is similar to their own, so they'd have burner accounts in which they say kind of crazy, violent things against their, you know, their internecine enemies. Uh, but would would a would a kind of prominent, you know, f- prominent figure uh, in the American Democratic Party probably someone who hopes to become a presidential candidate one day? Would she risk? Having a sock puppet account. And if she did have a sock puppet account, would she include these clues in it, you know, by, 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 by using some version of her first name and then calling it Smoker because that suggests Burner? I mean, it's like if she was going to do it, given how ambitious she is and given her position as a sort of standard bearer for the woke cause within the Democratic Party, would, would she, would she, you know, would she risk being exposed by including these clues in the name of her? sock puppet account. It just seems a bit unlikely.
0: I think she would. And the reason is a few things. One is that she's um, not the brightest. So she would, you know, it's the kind of thing she would give away clues because she sort of enjoy the kind of mystery of it. She seems like kind of like quite immature. She would kind of enjoy like thinking, oh, this is cool that I've got this account with a secret name. And everything about her conduct, she said about that guy famously, he just wants to date me, someone that criticised her. She was always tweeting about Elon Musk and tweeting at him. I think she would, engage, she would get engaged in this kind of thing. And remember, she had that dress at the, wasn't it, at the Met Gala, and it said, tax the rich. So this is someone who's been sort of funded and bankrolled by the Dems, but doesn't see any irony in being at an absurd sort of opulent gala with a, with a tax the rich dress. So she's not big on self-awareness either. To be honest, Toby, everything, I'm not saying she did do it, and I'm not sure what legally I can say, but everything about her behavior would suggest to me this is exactly the kind of thing she would do.
1: Well, um, I, you know, people in politics have um, have certainly done crazier, more self destructive things, and we know that um, political power, being in the spotlight, being you know a cult figure, does drive people slightly mad, and they do insane things. So, yeah, you it could be right, but, but I think uh, I'm, I'm just still I'm a bit you,
0: I've been acu- uh, threatened with libel law recently. I don't didn't really understand it. What what do I need to say to cover me against libel law about this or other things? Just said it's no evidence, speculation, my personal opinion, and it's satire.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think you can. There's a kind of um, fair comment defence. Um, so, if you can present what you're saying as commentary, um, then the courts will grant you a fairly wide degree of latitude. Okay, that
0: was commentary. It's a commentary podcast, and it's a satirical podcast. Everything I say is satire and commentary. Um, all right, that that was Birdwatch. Look quite brief because we've we, we've already done quite a lot of time, but of course. It wouldn't be the Weekly Skeptic without everyone's section. Oh, actually, should we first do a quick advert? We normally would do an advert here. But we don't have one, which is yeah. so weird because we got 16,000 downloads in a week last week. We're growing. We Last time had 15,000. It's quicker. It's more and more all the time. And really, if you're used to YouTube, you might not think those figures are huge. But as you said, for podcasting, that puts us like top 2%. It's extraordinary. I and mean, we keep growing all the time. And I'm hopefully going to sort out our advertising soon to reflect that. But for this week, we don't have an ad. So I'd just like to remind people once again to go to Eventbrite and get their ticket for the Weekly Skeptic Live. Already selling the VIP tickets, 45 quid. The uh, non VIP tickets coming out soon on April 8th for 25 quid. It'll be very fun. I've been thinking, Toby, how are we going to actually do the event? Because it probably can't be as technical as this week's. I think this week's has been a great episode, but maybe it's going to be a funnier, kind of looser thing. Have you thought yet about what we'll actually do in, in terms of logistics?
1: As I envisage it, first, you'll come on. You know, to, um, uh, uh, to and you'll do a, you'll do a kind of you'll do a couple of jokes. You'll you'll you know, you'll get the audience kind of warmed up. You'll make them laugh, um, and then you'll bring me on, and then you and I will sit down and rattle through some of the kind of um, topics of the week in the way that we normally do, and then you'll bring on Will, and he'll do his bit, um, and I think it'll be slightly different from the way we structure a normal episode of the weekly podcast and I think you'll probably bring on Will after we've gone through all our topics including Pete Woke and possibly a surprise visit from Jordan Peterson Um, and then you'll bring on Will and then we'll go to an audience Q&A and I think we'll try and allow the whole show will be about two hours and we'll try and allow I think half an hour for audience Q&A and the way James Dellingpole does that is um, you email him your questions and he looks at them on an iPad and he decides which ones wants to take we could do it that way or we could just have a mic at the front and people just kind of um, come up to the mic and ask us questions Uh, and we'll probably take a few at a time Um, but yeah and and then and then afterwards the VIP ticket holders and VIP tickets as you say are already on sale and if you want to buy one go to dailyskeptic.org there's a banner at the top of the website click on there it takes you through to our eventbrite page where you can purchase tickets um i think afterward, afterwards you know vip ticket holders will, will then come for a drink with me you and will at a nearby venue um so uh yeah it's uh, uh please do buy tickets and as you said tick regular tickets 25 pounds each will go on sale on saturday and it's a
0: very very cool venue the emmanuel center beautiful venue and yes, it's gonna be more unleashed though than than a, it's we weekly Skeptic Unleashed. It'll be live. I'll be get into my stand-up comedy mode. It'll be jokes, it's gonna be outrageous, I think, compared to the normal episode. Because that's what happens when you've got an audience. I naturally play up to them because yeah. I'm just a shame, shameless performer. So I think it'll be really good. We kinda of like Free Speech Nation. We do we have a live audience. So but yeah, interesting. Yeah, where's the world bit gonna be? There'll be some little minor changes, but it's gonna be exciting. And you'll be able to come to the first one and say you were there and get involved and as I say, meet us and grill toby about the worker protection bill in the bar afterwards (laughs) all right so make sure you come to that tickets available now may 20th normal tickets out soon but get a vip ticket you know we've got a few more left all right well now let's go over to will with our top stories of the week I'm here with Will Jones, editor of The Daily Skeptic, and as usual, we have some very interesting stories from the website. First off, half of long COVID sufferers have never had COVID, says new study, Will.
2: Yeah, an amazing study, this one, Nick. This is from a major journal, one of the top journals in the world, the Journal of the American Medical Association, or JAMA, as the acronym is, and it Looked at people between twelve, age between twelve and twenty-five, who had a mild acute COVID nineteen infection, and they looked to see how common it was that they had what they call post COVID nineteen condition or long COVID as we would call it, uh, and how how common it was in that cohort of people uh, after they'd had COVID. And the the shocking, if you like, finding was that it was no more common in those who had COVID than those who did, didn't have COVID. Hence the head, headline, half of long COVID sufferers have never had COVID. Uh, so take that from, from that what you will. They found that the prevalence of long COVID six months after uh, after having COVID-19 was approximately uh, 50%. So it's very high. Uh, half of the cohort reporting having these, uh, these symptoms. But it was equally high in the control group of people who didn't have covid and so they and they said that long covid uh, was predicted uh, not only by initial symptom severity but by psychosocial factors in other words uh, whether people uh, already had uh, some kind of background uh, that would predict them having uh, these kinds of symptoms. You know, we're talking about fatigue and uh, enduring uh, symptoms, especially fatigue uh, like that. So, um, yeah, fascinating study. And uh, while we wouldn't want to suggest that long that people suffering from long COVID were were, were imagining it or it's all in their heads, they are obviously uh, suffering. Uh, with fatigue and other symptoms, uh, there does seem, it does look like uh, long COVID, and this isn't the only study to find this, uh, that does look like long COVID as a particular peculiar effect of COVID-19 has been uh, exaggerated. Uh, And particularly if you remember that during 2020-2021, long COVID was often being cited as one of the reasons why we should have more lockdowns and more restrictions um, and so it's good to have these studies now always ludicrous of course to to argue that what kind of a justification is that for a deprivation of human rights and basic freedoms uh, but in any case it looks like the basis of is false anyway uh, and as more and more studies are showing that long covid is not a major issue not the major issue that they were making out So
0: the be. science is you're just a bit tired all right well should we do this one? Oh. That wasn't nice my <laughs> summary, Nick. But
2: uh, let's, go, let's go with that. I Love
0: summarising the stories with something Will was very careful not to say. Um, a, I'm here for the light relief, guys. So um, let's do this one. Brussels cancels looming ban on internal combustion engine cars. So it's the war on cars, but now they're sort of reducing the war on cars, and the UK government is prepared to follow suit.
2: Or uh, so a source said. Yes, this is the um, uh, this is the incredible news in a way that the the ban on internal combustion engine cars is in for, for the european union so this is brussels has been has has been rescinded uh, they are no longer have any plans to ban uh, internal combustion engine cars now need to clarify they do still plan to ban petrol and diesel cars so what we think of as internal combustion engine cars from 2035 which is scarily only about 12 years away so we're still looking at a crazy talk but the important thing is that the technology the internal combustion engine they have said can be allowed to carry on but with these new technology called e-fuels uh, that uh, you may have come across there they're, they're pretty speculative at the moment they're, they're they're pretty experimental they're not um they're not something that that you'll be able to go out and buy uh still very much in development uh very expensive at the moment but the point is that the principle that the internal combustion engine can continue and that companies can find ways of alternative ways of fueling it has been has been established uh absolutely crucial this means that the uk government will probably will probably follow suit and who knows uh, as we approach the precipice, which is the ban um, in 2030 or 2035, um, then who knows? Maybe some more concessions will emerge, uh, and let's let's hope so. Because if we're honest, the internal combustion engine has served us extremely well, and the alternative technologies uh, just aren't there uh, yet. So, if they ever will be, as we know, there are major issues uh, with finding. All of the rare earth uh, minerals uh, and metals that are needed uh, for the uh, for the batteries, in particular. So, um, so it's, it seems premature to try to move away from these in, from this uh, tried and tested, very well established, very reliable technology. And this may well be just the first step to a, a change of heart to something more sensible.
0: All right, and um, should we stick with the will hates you when I just say all right and don't add anything to the story? But it was, I, I don't know I don't know enough about these stories to to contribute so I just say okay very interesting um should we stick with this theme though of mad climate targets and do this one 82 percent of Berlin's voters refuse to support net zero 2030 as referendum
2: fails yeah amazing result this the, the Berlin actually held a referendum on that their- key net zero aim to have net zero co2 emissions by 2030 a very early date that is of course uh, less than seven years away and they and they had a referendum on this and and it and it failed it completely failed uh they had a mere a turnout of a mere 18 percent turning out to vote in favor so uh, so of all the city's residents 18 percent voted yes and uh, 82% did not vote yes. Now we need to we need to admit here that that around 18% uh, so around the same number voted no. So and in fact the yes camp uh, that's the, that is those who who support uh, net zero by 2030 uh, did narrowly have uh, more votes uh, than voted no, 51% to 49%. However, crucially, it's not. Quarate uh, is not valid unless uh, 25% of the eligible voting population votes in favour of the motion. So, And they only got 18%. So, so far short of the, of the threshold to get that passed. And that's because, as the headline says, 82% of the voters refused to support it. Around 18% because they actually voted against it. And the rest because they just uh, weren't sufficiently bothered to turn... To turn out, uh, and we can guess why that is. Uh, we don't. I mean, it was very, very well publicised. It was not something that was secret. It was not something they would not have known about. They would definitely know it was going on. Um, and so, we can imagine that many of those who didn't vote, uh, didn't turn out to vote, uh, were basically wanting to vote no. I think that's a fair assumption. We don't know how, exactly how many, uh, but but if they really wanted it, then of course they would have bothered to vote. So devastating, major setback for uh, activists. Of course, they don't care about democracy. The activists um, in the uh, and the very powerful people driving this uh, uh, this agenda nationally and internationally. So they won't let this stand in their way, I'm sure. But it is a major setback, and at some level, elections we have to believe still matter, and that this will, we hope, uh, have some kind of impact on what they seek to pursue. The problem, of course, is that climate change, climate alarmism is a doomsday cult. They basically, they believe that it's an absolute survival imperative for the the planet and for for humanity. We know that that that's what they say, that's what they're constantly producing in their (coughs) their reports. Um, So so you have to imagine that they're gonna find ways around this, but this is a, a reassuring, encouraging result that these ideas, these claims, are not universally believed, that these policies are not universally popular by any means. And perhaps there can be a really effective pushback against this this agenda, which ultimately is just going to impoverish humanity.
0: Well said. Hopefully, if enough people listen to the Weekly Skeptic, we can end Net Zero 2030 and all that nonsense.
2: The revolution starts here, Nick.
0: (laughs) Will's gone full activist. All right. Thanks, Will. We'll catch up with you again next week. Will, thanks, Nick. All right, so now let's do everyone's favorite section, which I'm sure will be part of the live event. It's Peak Woke. So Toby, I had like four Peak Wokes this week. Not quite sure. I can't commit which one to really go with. One of them, I think it's not really a Peak Woke. It's a, this this uh, this weightlifting coach saw that a trans person had beaten the, the female record. Not only this man basically beaten the female record, but it also made a video where he sort of said, why is women's bench press so bad? He's just kind of rubbing it in a bit. Like, you've already beaten the record by being a man. And then you've gone like, why is their bench press so bad? Weirdly, there's a bit of self-awareness in the video. He says, I don't mean for a, he uses the phrase tranny freak like me. He goes, I mean, just a normal women's event is so bad. So it's kind of a weird level of – you're aware that you've got an advantage, but you're still going to destroy their sport. So this, this, this uh, weightlifting coach, I think he's called Alvy something. I've forgotten his exact name. But he wasn't happy with this. So he said, um, it was something like Albie Silverberg or something. He just said, I'm going to win this event and crush it completely with with the bench press. And he beat the trans person's record. And this was a great way to just expose, you know, these fake trans records that you come in and then you destroy their fake record. And obviously it sort of suggests that all these records should be wiped away in the future. And I think they will be wiped off like these kind of drug records that get wiped off. So, yeah, he basically beat the trans person to make a point. Kind of like what Zuby did, but with an extra element to it. But I don't know if that's peak woke or not. Uh, the other good one was Guy Pierce apologizing for his tweet. He made a very normal statement. He said, if only people are allowed to play trans characters are trans folk, When are we all suggesting that trans folk can only play trans characters? Surely that will limit your career as an actor. Isn't the point of an actor to be able to play anyone outside your own world? In all my years of work, most people I speak to don't actually understand what acting entails. There are a lot of projections going on. And he says there are lots of people with great life experience who fall flat when a camera's rolling. It's an art form. Obviously, a completely sensible statement. as an art form where you pretend to be someone else. Of course, he had so much backlash against this. He had to issue a pathetic apology. And he said, I was wrong to tweet it. Blah-de-blah-de-blah. And uh, what did he, I, I can tell you exactly what he said. I posted a tweet yesterday that I shouldn't have. Which to prevent upsetting anyone else, I have now deleted a fuller apology, an explanation of the point I was raising is attached, and there's a really long like essay on it. One of the things, and he said he said that especially shouldn't have come from him because he has a full house of privilege. So basically, man says correct thing, and then backtracks and, and is forced to apply. Pretty classic.
1: Yeah, it's a bit. It's a kind of it's um. It's a kind of subspecies of malinformation, isn't it? It's 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 not quite apologising for something you've said, which is true, but which could be used to support a narrative which is going to um, make life more difficult for a beleaguered minority community. It's apologising for making an absolutely solid, common sense, logical point, which um, nonetheless um, is supposedly going to make life more difficult for this beleaguered community. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it seems like a perfectly reasonable point. Um, and it's also a kind of sensible way of getting activists to reconsider their insistence that, you know, you have to be gay to play a gay character, you have to be trans to play a trans character. You know, if you're going to insist on that, then of course, by extension, people who are gay shouldn't be able to play heterosexual characters and people who are trans shouldn't be able to play. Cis characters, so yeah, it's a perfectly sensible, common sense point, um, which he stupidly had to apologise for. Not because it's not because it's a bad argument, but it's a good argument, but it's too good.
0: Yeah, gay men can't understand the lived experience of having to deal with women. I might actually support that. That's a belief I could actually support. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, uh-oh, getting myself in trouble right at the end of the podcast. Um, and I also thought Bud Light, with having Dylan Mulvaney on the Bud Light campaign is so absurd. That one's so obviously absurd. I haven't actually bothered looking into it. I've just gone, oh, yeah, whatever. They've got Bud. I mean, it's just so obviously stupid and mental. Why would this beer have Dylan Mulvaney on them, this is awful, bizarre person who thinks he's a six-year-old girl and all this demented stuff? Obviously completely deranged and insane, but it's just another case of woke advertising, isn't it?
1: yeah um yeah i mean and, and i i i think i read somewhere that no, that no one had actually seen any of these budweiser cans with the picture of dylan mulvaney on them it was something like budweiser have said they're going to do it so they've earned the kind of woke brownie points but it doesn't feel like they've actually have. I mean, you actually seen has anyone posted a picture or have they only said they're going to do it and they haven't manufactured any of these cans i
0: saw yet? him sat with some bud lights and I, and maybe they said something on the can i don't really recall but yeah you're right i mean you almost don't even need to do it these days um no. I'm not, I'm not even sure. But And, it, and we, everyone kept thinking it was an April Fool's, but it doesn't seem to be. Oh, Kid Rock shoots no. up cases of Bud Light. <laughs> so that's his response. <laughs> yeah, there is a Bud Light blue can here with his face on it. So it does look to be okay. a real thing. I mean, madness.
1: So uh, I've only got one, which is um, the latest edition of the classic novel Gone with the Wind is going to be accompanied by a trigger warning, which... Um, effectively apologizes for the, quote, hurtful or indeed harmful racist elements in Margaret Mitchell's novel. Um, And uh, I thought that was um, quite surprising, given that um, the first uh, Oscar to be won by an actor of color was won, I think, in 1939 by Hattie McDaniel, playing the character of Mammy, Scarlett O'Hara's slave. Um, in Gone with the Wind. But, you know, it it actually has a vivid, three-dimensional, well-drawn black character Um, and an actress went on to win the Oscar playing that character. So, you know, um, it may be politically correct in various respects, but um, surely it's, if anything, um, helped the cause of um, people of color being recognized and, you know, um, uh, uh, contributing to... um, American popular culture. Uh, anyway, so uh, that was my that was my Pete work for this week.
0: Okay, well, some good Pete Wokes. and I, I want to say one thing, Toby. You've not been watching Mister in between, or you saw three episodes, didn't you? I mean, I'm slightly behind. I sort of stopped watching TV for for ages because it was so woke, and stopped watching movies. I just went and watched The Godfather repeatedly, and sort of checked out of everything except Succession. But I've been catching up, and I've watched The White Lotus both seasons, which is excellent, and I've watched. Mr. in between the first two seasons, and it's so good. And what I notice from both of these, arguably, is that they're anti woke. And I'm seeing this more and more. White Lotus, harder case to make, but you know the kids will say woke things. The adults, weirdly, the Hillary supporting adults say some sort of very anti woke things. Don't know why that is. And the kids who say woke things don't really win the debate. And, and without giving away spoilers in the first season, one of them who's very sort of worried about colonial this and that doesn't come out very well out of the season at all and kind of gets their comeuppance. So I think it's possibly anti-woke White Lois. It's at least at least sceptical about it and is sort of sceptical of a range of mm. views. And then Mr. in between, I think, is very anti-woke. I think it's pro sort of men. And there's a great section, and this is not a spoiler about plot or anything, but there is a, when he's in a group and the guy says to him, oh, so one guy's worried that his girlfriend slept with 30 guys and, he, and 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 then the, the protagonist goes, Well, be careful there, mate, because she'll probably do that again and she'll do that to you, right? And then the, the, the group leader goes, Isn't that a bit misogynist? And the group leader was portrayed as a bit of a tit with a ponytail. He goes, That's a misogynist there, right? He goes, You what? And he's like and he asks him what misogyny is. He goes, But well, it's <laughs> someone who despises women. He goes, I don't despise women, I got a got a daughter, got a got a girlfriend. And he goes, Well, I'm sure many misogynists throughout history have had daughters and girlfriends. He goes, yeah, name one. And he's kind of like, just <laughs> destroys this idiot's argument. And there's quite a few moments like that. And sometimes we're not supposed to entirely sympathize with the protagonist, but quite often we are. And I just think, and there's also a bit starting in the third season that looks a little bit men's rightsy to me as well. But I'd have to, there's a guy in prison for sort of, you know, a slightly men's rightsy type thing. We'll have to wait and see how that develops. But it's definitely pretty anti-woke, and it, or at least it's either non-woke, it's kind of like a dry Australian Tarantino and there's just no wokeness in it, or it's actively anti-woke. Are we starting to see the rise of anti-woke drama, Toby?
1: I think we are, yeah. And I think obviously the best example of that is Yellowstone, um, as well as the you know um, prequels. Um, and uh, that, I think, has been what the most successful... Drama on American network television, um, uh, and uh, and of course Taylor Hackford, so not Taylor Hackford, um, whatever the guy's called but, that that is the guy who does Yellowstone. He also did um, uh, the uh, what's it called Tulsa. Um, uh, oh God, my memory's playing. Ooh, the Tulsa King, um, uh, Taylor Sheridan. Yeah, so um, that's also pretty unwoke. And I think I think you know when the highest grossing movie of last year was Top Gun: Maverick. I mean, it's clear. In the kind of entertainment industry, um, they've gradually, it's gradually dawned on them that there isn't much of an audience for kind of woke drama in particular, and they're exploring alternatives and they're doing much better and it feels like you know the zeitgeist is shifting and you know it's harder now for the woke to claim they're on the right side of history and everything's going their way because it isn't there's clearly a backlash a retreat Um, and uh, the problem is though that it's just going to take years for institutions to catch up um, because they've been so captured Um, so you know uh, it's easy I think to to become um, over-optimistic by the shift towards non woke drama and comedy uh, in the entertainment business. Um, that's great and we should celebrate it, but it doesn't mean the war's over.
0: Absolutely. It's just, it's the beginning of the fight back. I would just criticize slightly or critique your comment on Yellowstone. I watched it when I was ill and I only got ill once really in the, in the three years from a COVID type thing. I don't know if it was, but um, in, in June 22. And I watched Yellowstone and maybe I'm further on than you, but there is a very annoying character, this girl who's kind of just always getting herself in sort of feckless trouble you like and she becomes a, a professor talking about native american stuff and it's just so like anti-white you know anti-colonial garbage i literally had to skip through those bits and I've never, like some kind of ultra gammon <laughs> i've never done that but i just i couldn't even bear to watch them they were so like and now an interlude where a character explains why you're evil in a way that seemed not you know to be endorsed by the series because you can always tell i can always tell when something's being endorsed Or semi-endorsed or not endorsed, you know. Like I say, White Lotus very clever ambiguity about it. Whereas Yellowstone, I felt like here I'm being hammered with the. You could say it's not that woke. It's just American Indian stuff, which he's obviously concerned about. You could say that's kind of a a niche element. It's not really woke. It's more just that you know it's it's sort of post colonial. I don't. What would you call it? But I don't know. Did you come across that character? I mean, that was very sort of what.
1: No, I've I've only seen season one. Actually, I'm about to subscribe to Paramount Plus so I can see the Tulsa King and all the. Sequels and spin offs to Yellowstone. Well, he
0: also did Hell or High Water, which is an excellent movie, and Wind River, which yeah, you don't really good. need to see if you've seen Yellowstone. It's kind of the same. But um, yeah, and also, and, and that Disney meeting I alluded to earlier, there's a live stream Disney shareholder meeting where they're all just hammering the CEO and saying, Why are we doing this woke garbage? And he doubles down in a pathetic way. You know, for some, that's obviously he's got his interest, why he needs to do that. But everyone's sick of it. Let's hope we get rid of it from films and series and just have really reactionary stuff.
1: Um so talk to- we, should, we should we should we should pitch a comedy series called Gammons about you know three washed up middle-aged men living in a bed set they're divorced they can't get employed um they're told they're privileged by everyone they have to do unconscious bias training courses at the request of the one them's you know the local dole living in uh, a
0: shed let's say cuz he's he's moved out or his wife they've got a podcast Yeah, yeah he's living in yeah. a shed his wife's divorced him she's still in the main house he's in the shed he hangs out with a kind of you know, more like a mig tower kind of crit- – haters would say incel, but, of course, he can get girlfriends if he wants. <laughs> <But> he he <laughs> hangs out with a reactionary loader and a complete conspiracy nutcase. <laughs> it writes itself. It writes itself. You, yeah. me, and uh, um, you wanna <laughs> Do you want to read a couple of reviews or have me read them?
1: Yeah, go for it. Huge for fan,
0: it. says Dorset countrywoman. I've been reading The Daily Skeptic for some months and have just started listening to the podcast. Thank you for all the effort and humour you put in to discuss topics that have been cancelled elsewhere. So grateful to be reassured that I am not alone with what my gut instinct has been telling me. I thought I was going mad. I stopped listening to BBC News and Radio 4 two years ago and filter favourite programmes via sounds and iPlayer. So thank you, Dorset Countrywoman. And it's a second review, both from women, I noticed, where they say, thank God I'm not going mad. And I wonder if women being higher in agreeableness sort of tend to worry more about oh what if i'm going mad men don't really care about that and they they're reassured by our podcast that they're not so it's a great service we can provide and you know it's this gut instinct that i was talking about earlier the only thing i don't get is why you are still even watching any bbc even on iplayer but that was a good review um there was one do you know what toby there's one that says it's an upgrade from london calling but i'm not sure i should read that basically it's the usual sort of anti-london calling (laughs) one that just says that nick is more reasonable than james the only reason i read that is there was one that i won't bother reading that one but it was basically that was the gist of it but then there was one that's like a a very rare bad review we get that says don't be fooled by the title of this podcast even if the host and contributors think they're being skeptical they never venture outside of the overton window Has james written this if I were more sceptical, I might wonder if the daily and weekly sceptic were little more than an elaborate venture to promote the profiles of Toby Young and now Nick Dixon, who should have stuck with comedy. He's clearly talented. Even in this hit piece review, they have to admit I'm talented, Toby. <laughs> but they're claiming that no matter how no matter how much evidence and how damning the evidence is, they cite the conclusion is always Hanlon's razor, which you do subscribe to, but I don't. But anyway, it goes on and on and says that it's just more about self-promotion. I mean, how dare you promote yourself on a free podcast that you slave away at every week? I thought this was a very annoying review <laughs> from someone who says that we're inside, the, we never venture outside the over-to-window. Hang on, I don't think women should be allowed to vote, and I want to bring back the death penalty. I mean, Guys, <laughs>
1: what, <laughs> what, what's inside, I want immigration so you, you to spend, be halted spend, at the, zero. What's inside the Overton window about that? And you and spent at least thirty minutes defending Andrew <laughs> Tate. You know, that, that's definitely outside the Overton window. Um, and you know, e, even I, who am you know slightly, you know, to the left of you on almost all of these issues, I'd say I'm well outside the Overton window. I don't think these people realise how far to the left, how narrow the Everton window is. They just think anyone who um, says something mildly more reasonable than them is somehow in the Everton window. It's become a kind of throwaway insult, hasn't it? It's like, oh, you're just saying that because you want to stay inside the Everton window. It's like, no, the Everton window is not where you think it is. The Everton window is like the Guardian, the BBC, the Independent. That's the Everton window. We're way outside. Yes,
0: I'm so far. I left the Everton window so long ago. I could barely remember that. I can't even see it
1: anymore. It's like it's a speck yeah, yeah. It's in, in the distance.
0: In the far, far distance. I barely remember its touch. I just, I I look out of my prison cell and remember thinking about once seeing a window. That's like, that's where I'm at. I mean, you know, though I do agree slightly with James on the recent London Calling that, I hate to say this Toby, but I think you are on the edge of it. I don't think you are always, when you say the telegraph, which you said on London Calling, was outside of it. I don't think the telegraph ever could be outside the open window, but I do agree it's on the edge and And vaccine scepticism and things like this are on the edge of it, right? But GB News, is GB News outside it or on the edge of it?
1: I think the GB GB News is is outside it. Um, And I think the Telegraph often is too. I mean, the Telegraph is quite sceptical about the lockdowns now. Um, And of course, it subscribes to, insofar as, you know, there is a collective view, which there probably isn't. It's the cock up, not the conspiracy theory. Um, but just to be critical of the lockdowns, to if your starting point is you know the government made a catastrophic policy error in, in imprisoning the country and the costs far outweigh the benefits, we're still paying the price. Let's hope they never do it again. That is to be outside the Overton window. The vast majority of the public, the political class, you know, um, the liberal media elite. They were all still four square behind the lockdown policy. Um, the Everton window has got a long way to go before it before it encompasses um, that degree of scepticism about the lockdown, which I now see more and more often in The Telegraph. So that's what what I meant by saying The Telegraph is is outside The Everton window.
0: Okay. And mainly most of the reviews are great. So please leave your five-star reviews on various apps and, and share the podcast, tell a friend, all those things subscribe and someone here triple j 900 much better review says fantastic nick and toby are a breath of fresh air to listen to they're funny interesting and informative those are the kind of reviews that we like and you know there are loads of reviews saying let's make it even longer so we've certainly delivered today with what looks to be an absurdly (laughs) long podcast but i thought was really interesting especially the top g bit and um i think that's everything toby unless obviously buy your tickets for weekly skeptic live on eventbrite right now the banners at the top of the Daily Skeptic website, or me and Toby are tweeting about it. You can find it various places. May twentieth. Anything else, Toby?
1: No, just to reiterate that. Please buy your VIP tickets to Weekly Skeptic Live, and if you don't want to pay that little bit extra to have a drink with me, Nick, and we'll afterwards buy the regular tickets, which go on sale on Saturday.
0: Absolutely, but until then, stay skeptical.
1: Stay skeptical.